Exodus chapter 7. If you're a guest with us, just know that we are, we are in a series in this book, and it tells the story of, of some incredible things that God has done for His people. And what we have found is that through Jesus Christ, this is our story. This is the story of God's work in our lives as individuals and as a community. And so let's once again come to this beautiful, powerful story. We'll be in Exodus chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. Exodus 7, verse 1 to 13. Hear now the word of God. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would work as we come to your word. We trust that this is a gift to us. Sometimes it's hard to trust that. We read strange events like what we just read and, and we wonder what connection they have to us and, and to our lives and to our world. But you have said that you continue to speak in your word and we come trusting that. We come acknowledging our limitations and asking for your help. Would you give us understanding? More than that, would you give us humility? to open ourselves to the life-giving words that you have given to us. Would you open our ears, our eyes, our hearts to receive this, your gift, and be transformed by it. And we pray all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Does anyone else have an irrational fear of eye drops? Because I do. When that dropper comes near my eye, my eyelids become like reinforced steel doors. My whole body revolts to that little drop of water. I don't know why this is. I don't know if I had some traumatic event 
as a child with eye drops, but I'm terrified. I almost have to be strapped down and sedated just to get a little relief from my dry, itchy eyes. Have you noticed how we as human beings have a capacity to reject and resist what is good for us? Have you noticed our remarkable ability to resist what is good for us? We share that capacity and that tendency with Pharaoh in the story of the Exodus. Remember what God's intentions are here. God is not only freeing his people from slavery, but that event is a part of a larger project. God's work is through his people to renew life in the world. God is at work restoring his vision for true, flourishing human life. He had said to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bring you life, and through you, I will bring blessing, I will make blessing possible to all families of the earth. So what God is doing here is just one step towards the larger goal of the restoration of what is ultimately good for all of creation. And everything in Pharaoh revolts, resists. Why? Why does Pharaoh resist what is good for him and for the world? Well, it's interesting, the text doesn't say just political pragmatism. It's not just being, uh, it's not Pharaoh being a good politician. It's not Pharaoh merely protecting the national interest and prosperity of the nation of Egypt. The text, if you noticed, says that the reason Pharaoh resists is the condition of his heart. It is the condition of his heart. Heart. And so this morning, I want us to look at Pharaoh's heart. Because in looking at his heart, we can look at our own. I want us to consider his resistance to what is good. His resistance to God's plan, to God's vision. Because in it, we can consider our own resistance. Our resistance not just to eye drops, but to what is ultimately good for us. The vision and design of God for our lives. And I want to do this in two steps. Two parts. The problem and the solution. Okay, The problem of our hearts and God's solution for our hearts. So first of all, the problem. The Bible places the heart at the center of human life. And of course, when it talks about the heart, we're not just talking about the organ that is pumping blood through your body at this moment. The Bible uses several images, metaphors, to define the heart. It says the heart is like a spring. It's a spring that feeds the river of our actions, our behaviors. It also says the heart is like a treasure chest. It's like a bank account from which we draw the currency of our words 
and our actions. It says the heart is like soil from which all of our life, all of it, springs, grows out of our hearts. To use a a modern picture, a modern image, the heart is the engine that drives what we do and who we are. The heart is why we do the things we do, why we are the way we are. You see, before anything else, we are desiring creatures. And the heart is that place in us, that internal place that holds our most fundamental, our most life-shaping, life-controlling desires, our deepest wants. And understand, desire is not bad. Desire is not bad. God has made us with desire. He's made us with hearts that have longings, and these longings should lead us to Him. Our hearts are designed to turn in worship to God and in grateful reception of His gifts, the gift of life. But sin messed with that direction. Sin, the sin of Adam and Eve and our own sin, has ruined the design of our hearts. Hearts that were designed to turn towards God instead torn towards ourselves. Hearts that were made to be open to God and His work and His words instead are closed in on our own perspective. Hearts that were made to be receptive soil to God become what? Hard. Hardened soil, rejecting God and His works and His words. That's the problem we see in Exodus chapter 7. Moses and Aaron, as the representatives of God, they come with seed. They come with the seed of God's message. And this is a message that should change everything. And how does Pharaoh respond? He is hardened soil. Un receptive to God and to what God wants. That's the problem. That's the problem of our hearts. But there's a problem with the problem. Who causes it? Who causes it? Who produces the hardened heart? When we ask that question of the book of Exodus, it says two things. This book says God causes it, and it says Pharaoh causes it. And in fact, if you back up to chapter 4 and trace all the way through chapter 14, 20 times the book of Exodus talks about the hardened heart of Pharaoh. Ten times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Ten times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. So which is it? Is it God or is it Pharaoh? Well, yes. It's both. We have to say, if we're going to be honest with the text, that on the one hand, God has a plan. God is working His plan, and that plan includes the hardness of Pharaoh. On the other hand, we have to say that Pharaoh is fully accountable for his response to God and his plan. 
And Scripture constantly does this two-step. It says on the one hand, God has a plan, He's working His plan, and His plan includes everything. The Apostle Paul in Romans 9 takes this element of the Exodus story and says, God will have mercy on whom He will have mercy. God will have compassion on whom He will have compassion. God does as He pleases. But, on the other hand, Scripture clearly teaches that we are accountable for our response to God. Our response to His Word, our response to His work. Now, I can't solve this equation for you. Okay? And I know it raises all sorts of thorny theological questions, and I can't fully unravel them this morning. Our theological tradition talks about primary cause, secondary causes. All right? Causation is complicated. But whatever our scheme, we have to receive these two truths. God's plan and work encompasses everything. We are accountable for our response to what He says and does. And what we must be careful of is to acknowledge that if you're bothered by that, and, and I'm bothered by that, that's, that's a little confusing, that's a little mysterious, is it not? But if, but if God is big enough to, to change slightly something I said last week, if God is big enough for us to be upset with him about the lack of answers, then God is big enough to have answers beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. The other thing we must be careful of is that the problem of causation doesn't distract us from the problem of our own hearts. Because here's the really difficult truth of the Bible. You share a condition with Pharaoh. James Cain, maybe some of you know that name. Uh, he's an author, was an author, particularly active in the 40s and 50s. And he's well known for writing stories and novels in the noir tradition, the hard boiled detective tradition. <clears throat> And if you know anything about those types of books and stories, you know that they don't give us a very positive view of human nature. Those books often are designed to, to uncover the underbelly of a city or families or people that seem noble, had this dark underside to them. And Cain said about his fiction, he says, I write stories about the wish that comes true. For some reason, a terrifying concept. The wish that comes true, for some reason, a terrifying concept. That is a pretty biblical statement. That echoes what the Bible says about us, about our desires, about our hearts. You see, when our wish comes true, it's not Disney fiction. It's noir fiction. Because our spiritual anatomy, our inherited spiritual anatomy, leads us away from God. It tends us towards hardness, towards resistance against Him. We all have a little Pharaoh in us. 
And I know that's not pleasant to hear. I know that, in many ways, is offensive to us. To say that we share a condition with a genocidal tyrant. You know, I think we want to take Pharaoh and we want to put him in a different category. We want to put him alongside all of the big bads of history. But the Bible takes this language about Pharaoh and uses it even of God's people. It uses it to describe God's people not long after the events here in Exodus chapter 7. Psalm 95 says of them, when they were in the desert after escaping Egypt, they hardened their hearts and would not listen to God. In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews picks up the language of that psalm and of this story and says to us, even those who are in the church, because of the deceptiveness of sin, there is the potential that you will harden your heart. That you will be unreceptive soil to God and His words and His work. Now maybe that is offensive to you, as I said. Maybe for some of us it's frightening. Uh, For others of us, maybe it is discouraging. But, But would you stay with me? I know that's a dark message, but stay with me for a moment. Because this story not only diagnoses a problem, It also uncovers a solution. So secondly, God's solution for our hard hearts. I've said this before, but the book of Exodus could be a lot shorter than it is. I mean, God could just say, hey, Pharaoh's heart is hard. It's not going to change. Let's go straight to the final showdown and let's get this job done. But he doesn't. He engages in this protracted, prolonged engagement with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's hard heart. He contests Pharaoh and his hard heart, and it's a contest that stretches all the way through chapter 14. And even though Pharaoh remains in his hardness, in his resistance, God comes again and again with two things. He comes with a message through Moses and Aaron. He comes and he says, I am the Lord. I am the true king. You are not the true king. You need to let my people go. You need to fulfill my desires instead of your own. He comes to him that, with that message, and then secondly, he accompanies that message with signs. Chapter 7 begins one of the most famous parts of the book of Exodus, the plagues on Egypt. And actually, the text rarely uses the word for plague. Usually it uses what we see in our passage, the word signs and wonders. Why? Because these actions, while they are acts of war, of God forcing Pharaoh to let the people go, they are also acts of communication. They are God reinforcing the communication of who He is, what He is like, and the nature of what He is doing. And we have the first sign in our text. It's often not connected to the plagues, but it's the first sign, this these staffs that are turned into snakes. We've talked a little about 
about, we've talked a little bit about this in past weeks, but notice how Pharaoh responds to the sign in this text. Notice what he does when the staff is turned into a serpent. He understands that this is a spiritual struggle, not a military one. So he doesn't call his generals, he calls these experts who are supposed to have a unique connection to the spiritual world, spiritual power. And what do they do? They replicate the sign. And so he's like, I can do the same thing you can do. But then what happens? And this is the key. It says, Aaron's staff swallows the other staffs. Part of the message is God simply saying, no, I am more powerful than you are. But there's more. Because that word swallow, it's used again in the Exodus story. Israel fleeing the Egyptian army, running from their slavery. And they walk through the sea on dry land. Pharaoh and his army, they try to follow. What happens? The waters collapse and the ch- chapter 14 says the waters swallow. Same word, swallow Pharaoh and his armies. Do you see what God is saying? He's not only saying, I'm more powerful than you. He is saying, this is how I will use my power. I will take my transcendent power and use it to swallow the chaos and the oppression and the death caused by your hard heart. God is saying, I'm not only more powerful than you, but I will use my power to overcome the effects of the hardness of your heart. And one of the reasons that God does this again and again, He comes with this message again and again. He comes with ten more signs communicating who He is and what He is doing. And one of the reasons He does that is to say... This is how you deal with a hard heart. The answer to the problem of the hard heart is to look at who God is and what He has done. The answer from the hard heart is to take that inward view and look up and see who God is and what He has done to overcome the effects of the hardness of heart and to worship Him to trust Him, to believe in what He has done. Sports commentators are masters of cliché, aren't they? These people who have to keep talking, and so they just use meaningless phrase after meaningless phrase. I noticed this a few weeks ago. I was watching a football game, and a skirmish broke out, and one of the players was penalized for it. And the commentator said, oh, these guys, they just need to learn to walk away. And I thought, what a useless phrase. And these guys are professionals. They've been playing football pretty much all their lives. Do you think they have never heard, just walk away? It doesn't work. In the heat of the moment, that doesn't work. Here's the good news about our hard hearts. God doesn't come to us with meaningless cliches. He does not come and just say, hey, walk away. Stop it. Stop having a hard heart. No, he says, look. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. And he does that not only with the plagues in Egypt, he ultimately and finally does it in the gospel, the message about his son Jesus. 
Because here's what Jesus does. Jesus dies. He suffers and dies because of the chaos caused by our resistance against God. See, Jesus at the cross suffers the death that your hard heart deserves. And He rises from that death. So that the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, says what happens as a result of Jesus. Death. The result of the hard heart. Death is swallowed up in victory. So that the book of Hebrews, when it warns us of the potential of the hard heart, what does it do? It doesn't say, hey, stop it. Just walk away from your hard heart. No, it says, look. Look to the author and finisher of your faith. Look to the one who is the great high priest. Look to the one who is better than Moses. See what he has done through his life, his death, his resurrection, through the gift of his spirit, through his ongoing prayer for you even now. You are in danger of a hard heart, but the response isn't to go this way, it's to go this way. It is to see who Jesus is and what he has done for you. So many of us, when we hear the message, hey, you have a hard heart, or you have the potential of a hard heart, what do we do? We go, right? We go in with guilt and shame and fear and fatalism. Oh, I must be like Pharaoh. My heart is hardened forever. And God says, lift up your eyes. Turn your gaze to what I have done, to who I am because of Jesus Christ. Lift up your eyes. Open your ears to hear the message that Jesus has suffered the death you deserve and He was raised to new life for you and He has poured out His Spirit on those who believe in Him. And that Spirit, what does He do? He gives us a new heart. A heart that has been cleansed with the blood of Jesus. Softness of heart comes from trusting in what God has done about the hardness of our hearts. So would you look to Jesus this morning? Would you turn your gaze away from your failures and your struggles and your pain and would you look to the one who outstretched his arms for you? Would you look to the one who rose from the dead for you? Would you look to the one who stands right now and intercedes for you if you believe in him? Do you have a hard heart? Are you scared of a hard heart? Would you believe And continue believing and worshiping the one who has made it possible for you to have a new heart. Let's pray.